Good morning, church. If you're visiting, I want to welcome you. Thanks for being with us this morning. If you're a regular attender, welcome back. If you're tuning in online, God bless you. We're glad to spend this morning with you. We are continuing our series called Disciple One. And I want to tell you, church, that it is my hope you will be willing after this series to find that one person that you uniquely are equipped and positioned to disciple into a greater and a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. The, the scriptures that we have turned to to help us understand what that process is like and how we can do that maybe for the first time or do it better uh, are the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young man that he discipled by the name of Timothy. We call these the pastoral letters of the Apostle Paul. And as a matter of fact, the, the, the second letter he wrote to Timothy, which is going to be our, our text for today, is some of the last writing we have of the Apostle. What we've decided to do is look at the times in First and Second Timothy where the Apostle Paul communicates something to Timothy that is that personal, valuable piece of information that he signals to Timothy by using this phrase, this is a trustworthy saying. That's when the Apostle Paul tips his hand and says, Timothy, look, let me teach you some things about ministry and about discipleship that are going to influence your sustenance and your stability and your consistency as you are trying to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to train up and to develop disciples. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to be starting in verse 8. The Apostle Paul starts out by giving us and by giving Timothy some instruction. Let's look at our text this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 says this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul asks Timothy to call to mind Jesus Christ in the middle of his ministry and his admonishment. Do you have any memories that when you bring them to mind just fill you with a sense of peace or a measure of joy? I'll share with you a couple of mine. The, the probably moment of greatest joy for me in my life is watching my bride walk down the aisle to me on our wedding day. I see this beautiful lady walking forward, and in that moment, she's coming down the aisle to me. She's saying, Trent, if Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, after today, would approach me and ask me on a date, I would turn them down because I'd rather be on a date with you. And I really think about that, and I'm grateful for that. And I honestly don't take it lightly that my wife has chosen me among the millions of suitors across the face of the earth, to do life with. 
The next memory that really brings my life a, a, a sense of joy or a sense of peace is, is watching my first child be born. So my wife and I were in Searcy, Arkansas at a small hospital in White County. Yes, they do actually have medical care in Arkansas. And I could take you back either to my wedding day or to the moment my son was born and describe perfectly what colors the rooms were, uh, who all was around us. Right after my son was born, I got a phone call from my brother, and I talked to my brother for about 30 seconds. I can almost tell you verbatim exactly how that conversation went, word for word. And even as I'm describing these memories to you this morning... I am, to some extent, filled with that familiar measure of joy and of satisfaction at the recollection of those memories. But what happens in life when those are the memories I call up to promote a measure of satisfaction and joy in my day? And I'm arguing with my wife, who's the source of one of those memories, or or what if my, my kids, my son, for example, is not acting like the angel sent from God that he's usually acting like? Well, what happens if those are the only memories I can lean on in times of distress? Then if those two areas, if in those two areas I'm experiencing conflict and in general my context is filled with anxiety and worry and a measure of suffering, I have no memory to access to promote satisfaction or joy or a sense of well-being. And I'm thus left without resource. This is absolutely why the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. Paul would say, Timothy, regardless of circumstance... Regardless of context, if you can remember Jesus Christ, who is alive, who was raised from the dead, who is the King of kings, who is the Lord of lords, who fulfilled all prophecies the Messiah was to fulfill and was a descendant of David, if you can remember these things, then it doesn't matter what you go through. You'll always be capable of pushing forward. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Then he uses this really cool way of describing the gospel. He says, this is my gospel. This is mine. This is the gospel that right now I am suffering for. This is the gospel that I have suffered for time and time and time again. And it has become so personal to me. And it's become so central to my life, I would take on anything and everything for the function of the gospel's purpose in life. There's nothing I wouldn't do. And Paul's telling Timothy, there is nothing, Timothy, that you shouldn't be willing to endure for the sake of the gospel. And the gospel should be so valuable to you and it should be so sentimental to you and it should be so central to you that it's not the gospel Paul's preached about. It's my gospel. And why why does the apostle Paul encourage Timothy in this manner? 
He says, the reason I'm enduring everything is for the sake of the elect, that they too might obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is not simply a message for Timothy from a man named Paul that only stands in that particular context. It's a, it's a message to all of us. So what do we do about that word elect? How does that make sense? Okay, Trent, I get it. I need to, I need to really develop a relationship with Jesus Christ such that the memory of Jesus raising from the dead Dying a torturous death, he didn't deserve to die. I've got to become so intimate with Jesus that that memory alone can fuel me regardless of what I'm going through. And I've got to become so uh, uh, focused on the gospel and my life has to become so centered around the gospel that it's not the gospel of Paul. It's not the gospel of Timothy. It's my gospel. Right, but what about these people that are elect? Well, first of all, this isn't a specific group of, group of men that the Apostle Paul is referring to. That have been unconditionally chosen since the beginning of time. This is a group of those individuals which describes every individual across every nationality, across every family of origin, and across every socioeconomic class that has that one condition that makes them chosen, and that is their faith. If we'd back up, we'd see this context more clearly. So go to verse 2 in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's take a look at that particular group of people a little bit more. The Bible says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these things to a group of people that you choose. The things that you're going to be looking for in those individuals are first, they're going to be reliable people. Who then second will be qualified to fulfill the third function, teaching others. Join with me then in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's Paul's insight to Timothy. Man, look, that memory and that gospel and that ministry that you're going to have, you've got to have other people helping you go about that kind of work. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone, Timothy. So you're going to have to find people. And I want you to find people. And I want you to look everywhere. The highways, the hedges, the elite groups, the groups that are the untouchable groups. The kinds of people that are in the middle. I want you to look everywhere for the type of people that will be reliable, that be, they can become qualified, and that will actually teach others. Paul's saying, I would have suffered any amount of hardship or distress for those individuals, any who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Great Commission is all about in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The people that Paul wants Timothy to have enough insight to train are those who would have faith in Jesus Christ. And in the spirit of the Great Commission, that's everybody from any nation, anywhere. But the purpose of training those teachers is to teach people how to obey the commands Jesus Christ himself 
has given. And some scholars and theologians call that the great omission. For you see, our purpose in Jesus Christ is more than simply evangelizing a human being and telling them Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died for their sin, was buried, rose again, and is coming back one day. And that's a huge, big part of your purpose. That's evangelism. That's what the gospel compels us to do, is to tell others. If we have been brought from death to life, from darkness and to light, how can we keep our lips sealed about that story that liberated us? And to have the opportunity to watch someone go from that sin-sick life of death, baptized into Jesus Christ, regenerated, to walk brand new, that's some of the greatest joy you can experience in life. But that's the beginning of the journey, is it not? There's still this whole teaching them to obey discipleship phenomenon that's supposed to occur following their conversion. Not just, you don't just need to train these guys, but you gotta teach them how to teach others to obey. And if you're gonna do that, you gotta realize two things. The first is, you've got to have the knowledge and the wisdom required to actually teach someone to obey. You do. And some of you under the sound of my voice have been sitting as a spiritual first grader under teaching of great men of God, And haven't grown one iota because you have not applied the teachings and the commands of Jesus Christ. And you've not become obedient to those teachings and commands of Jesus Christ in your life. You haven't done it. So you've got head knowledge. But you don't have practical applicational knowledge. It's not simply a kind of knowledge where I'm aware that psychological knowledge We have to have a practical, applicational knowledge of Scripture. In other words, you're not going to be able to effectively disciple somebody if you, in fact, are not an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. As demonstrated by your capacity to put into practice the teachings and the commands of Jesus. So you got to grow up. And you got to become mature. And you got to start applying Scripture to your life. I'm sick and tired of seeing people sit under preaching and teaching that is Christ-centered and cross-centered and spiritually sound, doctrinally speaking, and those same individuals not put that, that, that teaching in practice in their lives and then fall by the wayside. Suck it up. Suck it up in your marriage. Put the scriptures to work for you in your marriage. Suck it up in your parenting. And apply God's word to your approach and your parenting style. Suck it up in how you approach your career or how you drive your car or how you conduct yourself when no one is looking. Apply the truths of God's word. And then you can start to disciple others. The product of that kind of effort and that kind of ministry is not that just you're fulfilling God's purpose and seeing lives transformed and men and women grow into becoming disciples of Jesus Christ, but that the world begins to change. The world begins to change. 
we're not going to change the world through politics or policy or law. We are going to change the world from the inside out. When we live out the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we teach those truths to others and teach people how to obey because we ourselves are obeying those same teachings. Howard Hendricks, chaplain of the uh, Dallas Cowboys many years ago, put it like this. I've said this to you before. Most Christians in Western Christianity are educated well beyond their level of obedience. And that's sad to me. It's sad to me that Christianity in America has all but fallen asleep. And we let wolves into our homes and into our marriages and attack our children. And we don't even apply God's teaching in those desperate situations. We get selfish and we get self-centered and we get distracted. And then we become vulnerable to the enemy. When we have the answer, we have the answer right here. Paul would tell Timothy, man, you be ready to get to work. He ends this last he ends this passage with kind of a weird verse, verse 3, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What what's what's that about exactly? Let me let me tell you what my take is. My take is this that if you really set out to live the way Jesus Christ has called you to live, then you should be prepared to suffer. You know, the funny thing about people is they're terminally human, right? What are some of the things that come from uh, this diagnosis of being terminally human? I'll tell you the most important one you need to remember is that means people are flawed. They are going to let you down. They're going to hurt you. They're going to be inconsistent. They're going to procrastinate. They're not going to be punctual. People are not going to meet all your needs, People are not going to perform at all times the way you need and want them to perform. They're not going to do it. And so you've got to be prepared for suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Warfare implies suffering. That means you are going to suffer. You're going to suffer. So be ready. When people mock you or scorn you or you're met with indifference and you feel defeated as a result, that's as it should be. So Paul has given Timothy this teaching and if, if, if you're Timothy right now, you're feeling a little overwhelmed. The Apostle Paul and his insight certainly would have sensed this and so he gives the last little bit of inspiration for Timothy. If we pick up our original text... Uh, skip to verse 11 in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's that phrase. This is the phrase we're looking for for Paul to tip his hand to Timothy to say, Hey man, listen up. I'm going to show you behind the ministry curtain. I'm going to reveal the cards I'm holding. And I want you to remember this. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure... We will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. And if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. Timothy! Bro, remember when the cards are down. 
Remember when you're feeling desperate and alone and isolated and lost. Remember that you yourself have been brought from death to life. If you died with Him, Timothy, you are going to live with Him. So don't let anything in this world cause you to forget that memory of truth, of the reality that comes with making Jesus Christ your Lord. That if you die with Him, you will live with Him. Then this world, Timothy, is not your home. And that's the same message for you today. If you've been buried with Jesus Christ in baptism and you've been raised, regenerated, then this world is not your home. So you've got to start acting like it. And when the enemy attacks, and when the going gets tough, you've got to endure. Endure. That's what the Apostle Paul says next, man. Listen, if you endure, you also will reign with him. I have this fantasy. I want to be an endurance athlete. And I'm choosing my words carefully there. It is a fantasy. There are times where I'm running. And then my knees start to hurt. And then my hips. And then my toes. And then my elbows and shoulders and all my fingers. And my ears hurt. And then my nose starts to hurt. And then anything that wasn't hurting starts hurting all of a sudden. Which would be fine if I'm doing like a six-minute pace mile, but it's like 12 to 15-minute pace. And I do try to exercise, and I love doing that. Now, I do have that fantasy, and I, I have tried to pursue that to some extent. And I want to tell you what I do when I'm out there pounding pavement trying to clock some miles. There really does come a time for me where virtually everything hurts. And so in that moment, I tell myself, this is what I tell myself, I say, this is just temporary. It's going to be over soon. It's just temporary, man. You only got another quarter mile to go. It's going to be over soon. Keep on going. It's temporary. This is the last hill. You know this route. You know the route. You know this is the last hill. Just keep going. You know what the effect is going to be if you'll just battle through this last quarter mile. Just a little bit more effort. Just a little bit more time. It's not going to last forever. Just keep going. And that's where the memory of Jesus Christ and the gospel has to come fully alive for the men and women who are in Christ Jesus. It has to help us to endure because we know this world is not our home. Because we know if we've died, we will raise again with Him. We know that if we endure, we will reign with Him. Whatever you're going through this morning, whatever it is, you listening online, whatever it is, keep on going. Keep on going. If it's your marriage, if it's your kids... If it's some illness that you've struggled with for a long time, keep on going. Because this world is just temporary for us. This world really is temporary for Christians. So you can tell yourself the same thing I'm telling myself when I'm trying to log mileage in. This isn't going to last forever. It's just going to last for a little while Then Paul really 
inspires us all with how he concludes here. He says, if we disown him, he'll also disown us. This is not a difficult passage of scripture for me. It's clear. It's exactly what it says. If we disown God, he will disown us. If you were to read ahead and skip to verse 17, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2 starts talking about false teachers. And he says, their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are these two individuals named Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. These are people who were saved and now are lost. They've denied Jesus Christ. They disowned Jesus. And they too have been disowned. They've made a shipwreck of their faith. But here's the encouraging and inspiring part. Look at, look at verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. This is why these two ideas are juxtaposed. This is why they're side by side. This is why they're compared. If you deny Jesus Christ and disown Jesus Christ, you will be disowned. That's the reading of our text. But friend, can I share something with you this morning? There are going to be times where your faith falters. There are going to be times where the storm in your life is like a gale force hurricane. And you're going to find yourself like Thomas. One of the twelve disciples who after Jesus is crucified, he's in that place. The storm is like a hurricane and it's raging in his life. And his faith falters and he doubts. And he's like, I, I have to see Jesus to believe. i got to see it. And some of you have been in those moments where the battle is so intense, you cry out to God, God, where are you? Why? Why did this have to happen? Why now? Why did this person, God, where are you? And our faith seems to falter. Thank God in those moments of our faltering, His faith remains steadfast. He's faithful. He's faithful to us. And He doesn't abandon us. If we disown Him, He will disown us. But if we are struggling with our faith because of the way the world around us is is occurring, because of how our lives are currently, if our faith is struggling, God remains faithful. He stays by our side because He cannot disown Himself. So He stays by us. And He gives us strength and He doesn't abandon us even when we're really struggling. That's completely different than disowning God. In Jesus Christ, the Son. So whether you're in the once saved, always saved camp, or you're in the repeat regeneration camp, or somewhere in between, the point at which we can all agree is that we have to endure. We have to endure. We have to keep going. We have to tolerate suffering. And we can. We can you can because God is faithful when we fail and when we falter and when we stumble God is 
I don't know what the need is in your life. Some of you are in the middle of that hurricane force wind right now. And your faith is faltering. I'm going to tell you, God is faithful. And He's right there. And maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone you're already discipling and you're living this on point already. Or maybe you're in a season of plenty and you just need to get active and get involved with people who are suffering and struggling. Whatever the need is in your life, I'm going to close with the prayer. After I close, I want you to stand and sing and bring whatever need forward you have. And let us surround you and encourage you and pray with you this morning. Let's pray. God bless all those who are in attendance this morning and all those who are online. And I pray that that any who have a need would be compelled to come forward uh, or to email us or to connect with us in some way so that we can pray for them and so that they can endure. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for empowering everyone here this morning. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray.